it's a MacGyver job in in America, but for us we call it a Magaba job, which is like an under the tree kind of a job. Oh, oh okay. That's what we call the shade tree mechanic. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in, in in Puerto Rico, we call that under the mango tree. The guy under the mango tree. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Solder and Soot. I'm Bobby Duran, president of Narsa Idea. Hi, and I'm Mark Taylor, executive director of Narsa Idea. We're really excited for today's episode featuring Mike's Radiators based in Zimbabwe. Mike's Radiator, they're a new member of our association. They actually joined in January of this year. Mike Marks is the owner and Darren Maboreke is the operations director at Mike's Radiator. So without further ado, Today, we want to welcome Mike and Darren of Mike's Radiators in Zimbabwe. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you so much. For people who aren't familiar with your business, Mike, uh, can we talk a little bit about your uh, family history first and and uh, maybe how you got into the business? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, dad started the business in April of 1979. Um, we had a little uh, corner shop. Actually, right here where we are today, we were probably using about uh, a little square area of about five meters by five meters with a little test tank and a little compressor and a little spray gun. Um, of course, I was only 10 years old at the time, but I do remember popping in to see what dad was doing. And then in um, 1985, uh, he got to grow a little bit and uh, rent out a bit more space out of the workshop. And we got to a point where we ended up with a whole bay, which is about 200 square meters. Um, this process happened over a period of like six years when I joined them in 1985. Um, I was only 16 years old then. And uh, dad needed a very urgent back operation. And back then, medicine here, or probably all over the place, was a little bit slower um, and not as, not as fast healing as it is today. So he had to lie on his back for two and a half months after the surgery. So I had to come in, learn the trade. And in the middle of 1986, he went to do that surgery. And I've been running the business since then. Um, so my son has just joined us three years ago, um, basically really, really getting on board in the last 18 months or so. Um, it was a little bit tough with a young man on board, not knowing where he wanted to go. But um, thank God he's, he's, he's come on board now. And um, in the interim of the family, Darren is like family. He's been with us for, I think, 20, close on 20 years, eh, Darren? And um, yeah, there you go. So um, uh, it's, uh, it's been a privilege having him along. And uh, we've made him a part of the business. And uh, this is how we've grown from strength to strength, uh, you know, with the diversity in the family and, and with Darren on board with us. So uh, your introduction to the uh, family business was trial by fire, <laughs> as we put it. <laughs> could, yeah, you, you, you were, could say that. You, yeah. yeah, you were you were thrown to the wolves. Yeah. Uh, let's hear from Darren. Fantastic. Uh, thanks a lot, Mark. So um, I, um, I met Mike and his family. We used to go to the same church uh, back in the day. And so I was a young man fresh out of school. Um, I was intending to go to university to study architecture, which was a, a passion of mine back then. And uh, one of my friends uh, who actually go, went to the same church with us as well, 
um, was already working. And he said, uh, you know, I've heard uh, through the grapevine that uh, Mike um, needs an admin guy uh, because he's had some trouble with uh, his admin guy and that guy's left or something. So um, you've got nothing to do while you're waiting to go to university. Why don't you go and see Mike? Maybe he can give you a job and you can have something to do in the meantime. So I came out, uh, I spoke to Mike. My interview was probably the most unimpressive uh, interview <laughs> I've, I've, ever, <laughs> I've ever had. And um, he said to me, um, so what are your plans? What do you want to do? I said, uh, have you ever worked before? I said, oh, yeah, I've had like a small job for a couple of months before. Uh, but what I'm really looking for is just something to do in the meantime, because I want to go to university. So he says, oh, so you're looking for some pocket money? And I said, oh, yes. So Mike being the nice guy he was, he gave me a trial and uh, yeah, I am 17 years later, I'm still here. That's fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I think that's probably a common story we see in shops all over the world that, you know, a lot of key people just kind of get in there from the ground up and, and end up, uh, you know, really uh, being a key part of the business. Our, our last podcast uh, with Mr. Thorpe from GNM uh, was sort of the same thing. And so it's, it's good to hear that. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about Zimbabwe? Um, I, I'm very familiar with it's an agricultural powerhouse. There's mining around. What 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 really makes your shop move? What's Zimbabwe like? What's it like doing business? I think, you know, uh, most of the view, uh, most of our listeners on our podcast are very unfamiliar with doing business in, in Africa and specifically Zimbabwe. So I'm, I'm really curious to kind of get a, a sense of what business is like there. Okay. Um, so I'd like Dan to maybe answer the second part of that question, but uh, maybe for the first part, I'd like to say that we in Harare have um, like a population of about, so the stats say one and a half million. I'll probably say there's a bit more to it than that uh, due to the informal sector. So our official uh, uh, employment rate is sitting at, I think, um, 5%. Unemployment rate is like 95%. So your informal sector is massive. And of course, that's where everyone comes into Harare, into the city, um, you know, to look for work, to find that hub and to survive. Um, so, yeah, as you're 100% correct, agriculture mining is massive in Zimbabwe. It's all over Zimbabwe, nothing in Harare, mostly outside of Harare. Okay, maybe your farming sector, you, you, you've got a, a portion of the farming sector very close to the city, um, but your mining is all outside. Um, yeah, 100% correct there. But uh, on the topic of how we've stayed ahead and innovated, I'd like Darren to come in with that one, please. So thanks a lot for that question. Um, what is uh, Zimbabwe like? Zimbabwe, I think, is very different to most uh, 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 countries. Uh, when I say very different, I mean, um, you know, in most places in the world, probably when you've got issues with radiators, it's uh, a bit more straightforward. Uh, here, we usually say we, we make a plan. So what has happened when I joined uh, Mike um, 17 years ago, a lot of the things were brass and copper back then. And we started seeing a lot of aluminum radiators. And what we used to do was uh, basically, even with the LE radiators, we would recall them. And uh, the base of what then was our main customers would have been probably your panel beaters. So panel shops, when a vehicle had been in an accident, we, they brought it in, we built a new aircon and we recorded the radiator if the tanks were okay, or we made a complete brass and copper radiator. As the terrain started to change, we started to get an influx of 
plastic and aluminum radiators starting to slowly show up. And um, what happened is that copper prices kept going up and um, recording and building new stuff kept being expensive. And alley stuff was impossible back then to repair, was starting to flood the market. So we started to look at this and look at the troubles we were having. Even tractors had like uh, plastic and aluminum radiators. So we started doing research and we found that you could sort of repair alley radiators. So what has sort of helped us here in Zim as we, we, we moved along, we are probably the first shop to start uh, aluminum repairs. So we started building new aluminum tanks, being able to solder, aluminum solder the damaged tubes, uh, that type of thing and uh, rebuild aluminum radiators. And that became our, our thing. So as that uh, took sort of took off, um, I would say that there's been a change and uh, the, the, our main customer is no longer the panel beater anymore. It's uh, your common man on the street with a car. Uh, and for us, a lot of it is a lot of the farmers, they want a good radiator built and they want the radiator repaired properly because uh, the tractors and the combine harvesters, uh, this is where their money is coming from. And th those they want to look after a lot. And we also have a lot of truckers in Zim uh, because goods have to move. We are landlocked country. So we do a lot of importing and that the main part of that importation is a lot of your, your truckers. So we do a lot of truck radiators. So Zim being a difficult place uh, because we sort of try and do a, a good job. We, it's kept us busy and that's that's been the backbone of our 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 business you know farmers your truckers and your common man on the on the ground yeah and just and just to clarify for our listeners for our listeners panel beater would be what we would call in in north america a body a body man or a body shop correct I think so. <laughs> that's uh that's a new term on me i've never heard uh panel be beater before today uh darren Darren, I know I've been on your Facebook. I, I watch your social media posts. You're fabricating a lot of uh, radiators out of aluminum. I see you're taking, you know, plastic and aluminum radiators and, and uh, turning them into all aluminum uh, units. Uh, your work is, is awesome. I just, I love seeing your, your posts on social media. One question I have for you, um, have you, has there been a trend in your shop or have you had any interest by your customers to transform their copper and brass units into aluminum? Or do you typically, if it's a copper and brass, you keep a copper and brass. If it's aluminum, you keep it aluminum. So yeah, that's a very good question. Thanks a, a, a lot for that, Mark. Um, what's become common is that we still can get the brass and copper cores. We can still fabricate brass uh, tanks. But uh, what we usually try and give to the customer is the option. So our, our, our pitch is something like this. So we can make this in brass and copper, um, but probably looking at the costing that you usually associate with that, it probably be a bit more than the alley. Would you like us to coach for both? And we end up coating for brass and copper radiator or brass and copper complete or just the core. And then we do a... Um, parallel quotation in aluminium and usually you find because people ask next the next question so what's better uh, what should i go for and depending on the usage of it so on the tractors we usually say if you're on top of your game and you're uh, looking after your tractors and your radiators 
you can go with the alley as long as you're going to be very strict with your coolants and making sure your service intervals are adhered to. Or if you know that you're a bit of the negligent side, you want to spend the extra money and then go with the copper and brass. Because with the aluminum one, if you bring it back to us and it's full of rust and it's leaking, more than likely you're going to have to throw it away uh, because there's no guarantee if you don't use coolant. So with people that uh, tend to look at themselves as the people that look after their stuff, they end up choosing the alley. And obviously we also pitch to them that alley is the new technology, you know. Who wants the old Benjamins when you can get the new looking, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's so true. How about um, how about sourcing your aluminum product? I mean, I know here in the states we have a limited amount of companies that that uh, that you can purchase aluminum radiator cores or oil cooler or charge air cooler cores from. Uh, where do you go to source your aluminum products, your specialty products in in Zimbabwe? So our, our local stuff, um, our whatever we can get locally in aluminium, uh, we'll source it locally. Um, there is stuff that's of, uh, we we're not far from Johannesburg, the uh, the business hub of uh, of South Africa. We're only twelve hundred k's away, and they have most of the product that we need. We've got uh, good credit ratings with them. We've been dealing with a couple of suppliers in South Africa for a while. Um, so we've got a, a, a good credit rating there, which assists in getting the product across from Johannesburg into Harare, probably within about 72 hours, maybe 96 hours, that kind of thing. So we do have the option to buy a few things in Zim, and some of them do work out cheaper, but most of our stuff is an import uh, out of South Africa, and we also do uh, your, your cores and your complete units a lot also out of the UAE. We we with Dolphin, so we with Dolphin out of the UAE, and um, and then we also with a company out of South Africa, which I think do import a lot out of China, uh, but because the range is so big, uh, we just find it easier just to get it out of South Africa in the quantities that we need. Mike, let's let, let's switch gears a little bit here and 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 kind of go back a little bit to. Uh, doing business in in africa and Zim, in zimbabwe or zim as you guys say i just learned something um you know the world you know during the pandemic has just had massive shifts and 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 people are seeing prices increase um and are kind of getting bent out of shape when they see prices increase five or six percent or ten percent or inflation um, you guys went through what would be considered hyperinflation in 2008, 2009 was sort of the height of it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and how you survived in a situation like that? Do we want to remember those days? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was difficult. Um, so we had to do what we had to do. As Darren said earlier, we made a plan. Um, money wasn't available at the banks um, you know, you had a trading rate, I'm guessing, it was such a long time ago, I can't remember, probably a bank rate of about 50 to 1. And you were probably buying the US dollar outside the market at probably at about a million to 1. It got stupid. Uh, you know, the rates really went crazy. But you had to be on top of it every day. Um, you had to make sure that um, you had the stocks in order to, you know, to be able to continue the service. So, Every day, it was a constant battle to change that money into product. 
whether you you turned it into a product locally, which was very hard to come by because nobody wanted the local money. So you had to change that money and then you had to go across to the to South Africa. And in cases, I can remember a case, it was cheaper for me to get on an airplane, uh, fly to South Africa, buy my paint, put it on a pallet, get it transported up to Zim, then rather me being having the money locally, purchasing it locally in Zimbabwe, because the rate inflation rate was so high, they were putting a, a cushion factor in there to protect themselves because it was constantly moving. That inflation was just constantly on the go. And this lasted for how many years before it sort of settled itself out? Um, so it settled itself out, in, I think, from almost like in February 2009. But I think from January, two, from, from 2000, from around the 2000 era up till January 2000 and February 2009. And now, as I understand it, Zimbabwe has recently been growing fairly rapidly. Is it, can, can you describe what, what, it's, what it's like now? Um, is, is, are things kind of really progressing um, to get, get a sense of what it's like over there? It is progressing. Obviously, I think for, especially for Darren's standards, being a lot younger than I am, he'd like it to progress a lot faster. We are seeing progress, but it is very, very slow. Um, yes, we are hopeful. Uh, Darren and I are very hopeful guys. The, the team that we've got, um, we're always looking ahead. We're always overlooking um, the problems. Um, you, you're talking about stability. There was stability, I'd probably say, from 2009 to 2015. There was a lot of stability because everything was in US dollars. And then we had this, the Zimbabwean dollar reintroduced. We're currently sitting at an inflation rate of about 100% again. So, yeah, that Zimbabwe dollar and the US dollar factor is still a big, big role um, in, our, in, our, in our business dealings. And we have to... to Try and adhere to the rules and regulations that are thrown at us all the time. Um, in the old days, I'd probably say um, I'd get very nervous and uh, um, concerned with the rules and regulations that were constantly changing. Uh, monetary policies were always changing. We look at a monetary policy now and we look at an opportunity. We no longer look at it as a as a um, as a obstacle, uh, right? A hurdle, as yeah. an obstacle. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, is. Uh... Are dollars still prevalent in the underground economy in uh, Zimbabwe now? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's illegal then, I'm sure, right? Yeah. It's, it's not illegal. It's legal tender um, at the moment. Um, so it's legal if you purchase it through the trading system. There's an auction. We've got what we call an auction rate. So it's totally legal to get your money there. And there are other ways to do it, which is, which is illegal. And we sort of try and stay away from that as much as we can. So, yeah, you say obstacles, um, you know, in you know, in my business, we're in Puerto Rico, which is part of the United States, but it's a territory. And, you know, we have major issues with electricity. Um, but I see that as an opportunity and we've heavily, heavily shifted ourselves towards that. And, you know, even even now where we're seeing uh, issues with the supply chain, which I'm sure you guys are seeing over there. We found that that's been able, that's allowed us to get into markets that we haven't been able to, to get into because people can't get the parts from their normal sources. Are you seeing that obstacle in your economy with uh, supply chain disruption helping your business now? Uh, absolutely. Um, so it's given us the opportunity, as Darren said, you know, because we've innovated into the aluminium side. Um, 
So it's given us the opportunity to be able to offer the client um, all these options. And uh, with having created that link with South Africa, more with South Africa than with the UAE, I think we've managed to bring it uh, all under the under the roof, under the radiator, Mike's radiator's roof, and say, you know, there is a problem, but we have a solution. So I think over the last couple of years, um, all with uh, with Darren's uh, thinking, you know, being the young man that he is, uh, we've been able to offer solutions, I'd probably say, to 99.9% .9 of the problems that have walked into our workshop. Darren, what is the radiator industry like in Zimbabwe? Are there a lot of shops like yourselves that are highly formalized large shops with a lot of ability um or is the majority of the industry sort of small informal type of shops C can you can you give us a sense of of the the radiator industry in particular in zimbabwe thanks bobby so um i think with mike's help he can help me um answer this question um as of the old days we used to have maybe about four or five big formal shops um, in Zim. The biggest uh, formal shops have sort of uh, shut down because what those were were really manufacturing your copper and rust cores, uh, you know, um, and the oil coolers, everything was building copper and rust uh, cores. And as our economy became difficult, it, it started not making sense to import such a large amount of copper and brass and have it sit uh, with, with no one to buy because people were going for the alley option or a new complete aluminum radiator from China or whatever. So what happened is that the big shops sort of died. And I think of the oldest shops that are there, uh, we probably the only one left. Uh, formal shops, very few left. So maybe about under five. And most of them are very informal shops. So I think we, if you look at our social media, you'll see some of the jobs that we, we actually have to end up rectifying is that people will take it to a guy who will say, I can fix this thing. And what, what will happen is that the radiator will be plastered with uh, plastic steel and all sorts. Um, just today, I had a guy who had me um, phone his wife because it was difficult for him to explain why I had moved from just a recon job to having to supply a new radiator for his Nevada, his Nissan Nevada. Um, so lucky enough, we were able to sell the wife. So we're actually fitting a new Nevada radiator now, uh, but um, very few formal shops. A lot of the shops that are left around are informal shops and people end up learning the hard way. They get the radiator. We call it a Magaba job. That's another word you can learn. Uh, which is like, <laughs> a magaba. We use this. We we use the same term. They MacGyvered it for sure. It's a MacGyver job in in America, but for us we call it a magaba job, which is like an under the tree kind of a job. So, um, oh, okay, <laughs> that's what we call the shade tree mechanic. Yes. yes. <laughs> in, in in Puerto Rico, we call that under the mango tree. The guy under the mango tree. So that, that, that's sort of what people go for the first time around. And then they learn the hard way. So when they come to us, we, we, we tell them that we, we're trying to save you an engine, not just a radiator. So um, very yeah. few formal shops are left. Right. And, and we see the same exact thing over here. The only difference over here is that we just have to explain it to the person <laughs> and we don't have to be a marriage therapist like you guys have to do. 
and explain it to the wife. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, it sounds like you're more like a bartender than you are a real man. <laughs> we, we've got so many different hats. We, we forgot that we actually are. Sometimes we even pastors. We, we got to use scriptures. And stuff. <laughs> there, let's, let's, talk, uh, let's talk about um, your team, the people that you work with. Who's on staff? How many people do you have? What are the ages of your of your staff? Uh, and uh, you know, where do you where do you get people? How do you find people to to work in in your shop? Uh, I'll, I'll answer part of it, <laughs> and I'll leave the other up to for Mike to help out as well. Okay. With, um, but we've got a very diverse uh, team. I think our oldest employee is in his sixties. And he's been uh, part of uh, the Marxist family for probably Mike's whole eight uh, life, eh? Um, yeah. And our youngest yeah, um, yeah. employee is probably about 21. Um, so we've got a very diverse uh, um, team here at Mike's Radiators. Uh, most of them, though, being young. Uh, and how we, we, we find them, we, we, we've got to go out there and find them ourselves. And most of them are trained in-house. So, um, yeah, we, we're so grateful for the team that we have here and the commitment. They, they, they work really hard. And um, we're trying to teach them a, a new concept, which we've come across, which is uh, from a book uh, called Extreme Ownership. And that's, that's sort of taking off. And uh, it's been encouraging to see them develop as well. Uh, Mike? Yeah, I, I don't think I can add to that. I think you've explained that perfectly to a T. Um, yeah, we don't get a lot of people coming, knocking and looking for work. Um, we, we sort of have to source, source out and uh, look for uh, when you pick up somebody and you see that they look um, enthusiastic. And so, yeah, we just try and motivate them to come and have an interview with us. And we look at them and we make a decision from there. But um, yeah, I think Darren's pretty much covered it. You know, uh, we would typically, when I owned my business, we would look for people that had good mechanical skills, and then we would bring them into our business and train them up in, in cooling system repair, or welding, or radiator repair, or whatever. Do you all have uh, vocational schools in Zimbabwe? Is there any type of, like, formal education for mechanics or like HVAC people or welders or anything like that? Yes, we do. We've got uh, a Polytech and we've got a couple of other private um, little institutions. And then we've got a, a standards association, um, which does all the final tests. But I don't think well, I stand to be correct today, Darren, but I don't think we've got something to do for radiators. You know, uh, we typically have always struggled with with training in the radiator business. And we find that a lot of shops are, are doing their own in-house uh, in house training. And that's, that's always been a, been a struggle for this industry is that, you know, we're such a small niche industry that it's never benefited anybody to, to start or maintain a, well, I can't say they haven't started, they have started. It's just, we haven't been able to maintain a formal type of education for, for cooling system repair over the years. And so, you know, just like Ed, you talked about in, in, your, uh, in your country where, you know, there's not as many radiator shops today as there was 10 or 15 years ago, the same things happened in, in uh, the rest of the world. 
And so it makes it very difficult then to maintain any type of, of formal uh, training programs. So that's always a challenge. So. Darren, you, how'd you discover us? How did you, uh, how did you find NARSA? I mean, we don't do a lot of, a lot of events in Africa uh, ever. <laughs> Although we hope to, we would hope to do an international tour someplace in Africa maybe in the next three or four years, we would love to do that. But can you tell us how uh, how you discovered NARSA um, and how you came across and became a member? Thanks, Bobby. So um, Mike's always encouraged me, you know, to say that uh, at Mike's, it was a place to to grow and to always try and innovate and do whatever we could do. He's always encouraging me to say, whatever you find, Darren, that's new. Let's go for it. Let's, let's try our best. So back in the days, we used to have magazines. So I'd look through magazines and try and find um, shows that spoke about radiators or whatever. And I know uh, a few years ago, we came across Auto Mechanica or something like that thing. And they, they have different events all over the world. Um, as a young person, you know, growing up in Africa, you're always interested in America. So uh, I've always had an eye out to say, what can we do in America? Or can we go for a show that's got to do with cooling systems in America? And we found out I think it was back in the day through magazines that there was this NASA or whatever it is. And it was an association that had to do with the cooling system or whatever. Uh, but, you know, you could never really get your hand onto it back in the day. Uh, but recently, so we, we just started Googling and we, we, we I sort of came across you guys, I think on Instagram or on Facebook. And then me being me, I just started tagging you guys in our posts until you had to tell me, hey, listen, you've got to actually be a member and you got to join. <laughs> so I, I, I pitched that to Mike and Mike was like, oh, this guy has got another way for us to lose money. You know, eventually uh, <laughs> he, he looked into it and then um, he, he, he kind of saw that you guys were actually a thing and not like uh, some uh, online scam, you know. <laughs> so... I think that's when we sort of formally applied and then joined NASA. So it's been a long way there, but uh, we're glad we're on board. Well, if it was a scam, it would be a really small scam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, believe me, the radiator shops aren't lined up. <laughs> the, uh, and, and, you know, one of the things I always encourage, you know, uh, people all over the world um, is that that NARS is all about, you know, we always tell, talk about one, one idea, one connection, one opportunity. Like when we get together and exchange ideas, you know, I could just, I could give you a, for instance, where I, I called our buddy Kyle and he told us the proper way to rebuild a cat folded core. And that right there paid for my membership for many years. And, um, and that, that exchange of ideas is critical. And, and one of the things I always say is uh, I've traveled pretty extensively through Southeast Asia and Latin America. And I sometimes say that the places I learn the most are the places that don't have ready access to parts that are easily that could get there in 24 hours. They're the places that have to be more uh, they have to be more ingenious and, and they have to figure out what to do with with the limited sort of availability that, that they have. So I really encourage you and I'm glad you're, you're part of the organization and we definitely encourage more people all over the world to kind of share this passion for this industry that that we have and and that other people have uh, have all over the world um switching gears mike um i understand you share a hobby with uh, with me and 
And I saw in the show notes, and I got very excited uh, that you uh, pursue a fish that is a bucket list fish for me, which is the African tiger fish. Can you tell me a little bit about your hobby? Yeah, um, it's a hobby which, uh, thank God, since Darren joined and since uh, my son has joined, it's sort of given me more of an opportunity to do it more often than I than I um, am, am sort of uh, uh, deserving, should I say. You know, I'm very deserving to have them, not, uh, not so deserving to go out there, very deserving to have Darren and Miguel on board. And through them, I've been very blessed to have the opportunities that I have to go fishing. But yes, Tigerfish is... Uh, it's a machine, uh, pound for pound. Um, I don't think I've caught anything like it. Um, and they're available on the rivers and they're available on our lakes. Um, the lake fish is not as exciting to catch as your river fish. He's a lot stronger. And a five kilo fish will, you won't forget it. You won't forget that five kilo fish in the river. You won't forget a three kilo fish in the lake. The, the action, the, 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 the strength from that little animal is phenomenal. I uh, I encourage everybody to Google African tigerfish and to see the set of dentures that this thing has. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah. I, I, I hope you're not going to mind when I drop by your shop, look at the shop and then ask to go fishing because it's one of my dreams. And I would be happy. This is a formal invitation for you to come to Puerto Rico and we could turn you on to some tarp, some tarpon. And, wow, fantastic. Uh, and, uh, and we'd love to do it. We fly fish for them here. We spin fish, but, uh, that African tiger fish is, uh, something that it's a I, monster. it's, it's, a, it's, it's a monster da- Darren, Darren, what are some of your hobbies? So, um, I would say my number one hobby probably at the moment is, is something I do every day. I, I, I like a bit of, uh, weightlifting five days of the week, sometimes six days of the week. I start off my day in the gym. So, um, that 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 keeps me sane. That's my place of release. Uh, uh, if you ask me to teach you about fishing, I mean, if I if 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 I was back in the day of Jesus, he was never going to choose me to be a disciple because I couldn't even catch a fish, so no chance of catching a man. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we're ending down. I have one more question for for both uh, Mike and Darren. And that is, if you could each tell us what your biggest challenge is on a daily basis, and also an important lesson that you've learned over the years. So it's a two-part question that each of you get to answer. Um, So I would probably go with uh, uh, finances in terms of being able to obtain or purchase real foreign currency in order to be able to acquire materials outside of them. That would probably be my biggest challenge. Um, What have I learned over the years? I'll probably revert back to what I said earlier. With all the movement and changes in monetary policies and uh, uh, economic laws, uh, trying to protect the US dollar in in, in the nation, I've learned to not get nervous about it and look for the opportunity to um, look for the opportunities in this in this situation as opposed to getting worried and concerned and how am I going to remain in this confined environment that they've put us in. So, like I said earlier, I think it's a maturity level 
And that's my biggest lesson is when things shift, I look for the opportunities as opposed to looking that's for great. That's the great. negativity. Kind of reminds me, somebody told me years ago, said business is like a game. And sometimes, you know, you're used to playing the game a certain way, you know, like maybe it's backgammon or chess. And then somebody comes along and says, all of a sudden, hey, yeah. we're going to play a new yeah. game. And, uh, and here's the new rules, right? And it said that you have no control over that. You only have control on the way you react um, to what's been put in front of you. Um, Darren, what's, what's, uh, what's, your, what's your biggest challenge maybe on a daily basis? And, um, and what have you learned over your 17-year career in the radiator business? So I, I would say probably for me, the, the biggest challenge because I'm, I'm more in operations and still remains is just dealing on a day-to-day -day basis uh, with, with the human being, you know? Uh, your customers are human beings and they come in all shapes and sizes and designs and everyone's so different, but being able to, you know, to relate and to understand uh, and to empathize and to explain to the customer as they walk in, I think that's always been a challenge. and. Um, Part of the biggest lesson for me is uh, having to improve uh, in my communication, uh, being able to, 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 to deal with people from all walks of life. There's, there's a guy who would walk in and you can see that he's got a fat wallet. He, he's, he's easy to convince, he's easy to sell to, but sometimes he wants to negotiate, negotiate hard. Uh, then there's a guy who you're feeling sorry for because you can tell uh, this is a truck radiator and they need a new one and they probably can't afford it and you're trying to find a solution for this guy. So that, 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 that's been the, the, a challenge and a lesson in itself. And, but I would say the biggest lesson I've, I've, I've learned is that um, you, you should never despise um, where you start and um, what it is you do and you got to learn to love it because um, you with what you do, whatever you do, it, it, it could be an answer to somebody's real problem. So it's, it's, it's just been a joy for me the last 17 years. I would have never dreamt that I would be a radiator guy, but I love being a radiator guy. And uh, when people ask me, what do you do? I tell them I'm a cooling systems specialist and, and, and I love it. I, 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 I would add that our good friend, David Bienvenue, who has a radiator shop in Louisiana, he refers to himself as a radiatorologist. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> well, you know, we oh, are we are really happy to have you as as members, your new members to NARSA and IDEA. And you know, I think you joined in January of uh, of this year. And I just want to say thank you for being yeah. a part of our organization. And you are our top member in Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. That's, you are number one you member in Zimbabwe. So <laughs> thank you. No. <laughs> thank you guys very much for joining you. I, I, I hope to meet you guys in person one day. And uh, we definitely would are very interested in having an event in Africa where we can meet more shops like yourselves. And again, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Thanks so much, Bobby. Thanks, Mark. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. I want to thank Mike and Darren for joining us on Solder and Soot. We are so proud of our network of professionals in the cooling systems and diesel emissions industries. It's great to see how different shops and businesses deal with the challenges we all deal with. And we can really learn from each other.
If you are not yet a member of NARS IDEA, please join us. Our members include radiator shops, DPF cleaning facilities, manufacturers, and distributors. You can learn more about our membership by visiting our website, narsa-idea.org. Bobby, our members also have access to our past presentations and technical training videos through our website. In addition to our podcast, we also produce a bi-monthly magazine called The Cooling Journal, as well as a newsletter. If you would like to receive a subscription to either, it's free. Just email me, mtaylor at narsa.org. Don't forget to subscribe to Solder and Soot wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening. See you next time.